You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk UNLV. KUNV 91.5. You're here with Tanya. And Alicia. And our wonderful, fantastic guest, Ms. Colette LaBeouf. 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 Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you for that. What a wonderful name. <laughs> oh, Sound thank you. French. Yes, but I'm not much French. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly Italian. Oh, wow. <laughs> Well, Colette is here from the Black Mountain Institute, but before we get kicking off about the Black Mountain Institute, I would love for Colette to share her origin story with us. How did you get here in this role, in this place, in this state? Yeah, so I came to UNLV and to this position at Black Mountain Institute in June of 2022, and I came via New Mexico, where I lived for 10 years, and I was executive director of the Taos Center for the Arts in Taos, New Mexico, but I'm originally from Southern California. Ooh, Kelly girl. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Love so it, that's a short version so far. No, listen, that's fine. That's perfect. <laughs> but for the, for those who are listening, including myself, I've never heard about the Black Mountain Institute, which is acronym for BMI, right? Yes. Tell me a little bit about what that's all about here at UNLV and what that encompasses. Absolutely. So it started in, it began in 2006. Mm -hmm. It is a literary organization and it lives in the College of Liberal Arts. So we're, okay. we're part of the college, but we are a literary organization that serves not only the college, but also the campus and wider community. Mm. Wonderful. Amazing. So, you know, when I was perusing the website, actually, I'm familiar with you from the previous year. I feel like I was on your mailing list for a while. We got to get you back on if you're <laughs> off. <laughs> I, you know, I think you, you have a point now that I think about it. But, you know, as I was thinking about it, I, I saw these wonderful stories. I saw these wonderful artists. I saw these wonderful writers. And I was wondering if you could talk about what is on the Black Mountain Institute and where these different genre, these different people come from and how you come to have these all these wonderful people featured on your page? Sure. Yeah. So there's a few things going on with us at, at Black Mountain Institute. Part of it is we do public programs. So we bring in writers and artists to come and talk or share their work. Um, but we also have fellowships. So we have residential fellowships, the, um, two fellowships. One is called the Shearing Fellowship, and that fellowship is for kind of emerging writers, writers who have published at least one book with a literary or trade press, and they apply, and we look at their applications each year, and they come and they live in Las Vegas for a semester. Um, their housing is taken care of. Uh, we wow. give them a place to live. And then in turn, what they do is they give a public reading. They talk to, you know, share their work from a recent book or an upcoming book. And they also have a service component. So they apply with a project of the reason I want to come to Las Vegas is I'd really like to work with 
this community, or I'd like to do that project. So they have to have a kind of reason to want to come to Las Vegas besides just wanting to write here. Well, because I'm sure many people will be signing up when they see Las Vegas. Let me get there. <laughs> my, my <throat> <laughs> Entertainment like, capital. So can I could I write for the Usher concert? No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so funny though because most of the people who come have never been here. Really? Yeah, so it's not like they're coming because they have a plan. Oh, okay. Though we did have a fellow last year who went to all the Cirque shows <laughs> and made it her job mm-hmm. to do that. Um, but a lot of them really don't know where they're they're coming, you know, and that makes it sort of exciting. Mm-hmm. They've done research. They're interested in working with groups of people, not just students, but like, for instance, right now, one of our fellows, a sharing fellow, Edgar Gomez, um, his sort of service engagement project idea was to do a bilingual book club. And he's doing that at the writer's block. And it's a Latinx book club. And they're reading, I think, three books through the fall while he's here. And that's drawn a group of people who are connected to the university, but also not. Um, and that's just really awesome to see. It is. I'm excited, too, just to learn um, if you could just share your thoughts about the importance of storytelling. Why is that important? Yeah. In my role as a, as executive director or as a person, storytelling is amazingly important. Mm-hmm. I feel like in so many ways, um, I think when people hear storytelling, <clears throat> they think maybe of writing. Mm-hmm. But uh, think of illustration also or history or politics, or we think of just our personal story. You know, how do we tell the story of ourselves or our own narrative? So what I like to think of as storytelling, the reason it's important is because it helps us make sense of who we are for ourselves, but also to others. I hear you saying that you have a personal relationship with storytelling. So I'm just curious as to where and how did you discover your relationships with storytelling And did that inform your decision to do this? Yeah. So I, in college, I studied, I wanted to study psychology. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, wow. A lot of stories there. (laughs) Constant stories. And and I'll tell you, I'll just tell you what happened was I was terrible at math. And when it got to the point where, you know, I had to take math classes for the psychology major, I said, I need to, I need a different plan. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, I need a different plan. So I, um, I also really liked theology and English, and I ended up studying English and then discovering creative writing um, and poetry. And I had an amazing mentor, um, Gail Ronsky, who still teaches at Loyola Marymount University, which is where I went to school as an undergrad. And from there, I... I decided I wanted to write. So I went to graduate school and studied poetry and then got a PhD in English studying poetry. And then I've been writing since, I don't know, since, since that. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not at all surprised that you would have been drawn to psychology because I feel like one of the things that I enjoy about the field is the opportunity to hear stories. Totally. You, you get to have an opportunity. It's a window into other people's worlds. Mm-hmm. And there's just such beauty in the stories, especially the stories of resilience. So um, I love that one led into the other because I feel like they are very much related. And I think um, also from what you're saying, like a, a curiosity about people and a curiosity about the world 
is part of it. You know, how does the world affect people and how do we also affect the world day to day? Yeah, definitely mm-hmm. those pieces. Mm-hmm. There, there's power in stories. I would agree with you. Yeah. So. And then to become a writer. So some people may say, well, I'm not really good at grammar. Or I may not be yeah. as creative. Yeah. You have to have all these different things to become an author or to become a writer. But as an expert, what would you say? What does it take to actually become a writer? I think it depends on who you are. Okay. And I think it depends on what you want to write and what, what writing means to you. You know, there's... There's slam poetry, there's producing a book that you make yourself, there's having a publisher create it for you. There's all different ways to to be a writer. So I think, what does it take is like, t- for me, no matter what, mm-hmm. what um, venue, what role, what how you want to be heard in the world is going to require practice. Mm. And I think that that goes for anything you want to do well, but practice. Yes. That's really good. No. So not grammar necessarily. Exactly. But just practice, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, I've heard two wonderful quotes around writing. One was from a creative writing instructor, and she said that writing for publication is like standing naked in the world. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, wow. Because uh-huh. it, well, requires, yeah, it requires you to be able to reveal parts of yourself because Vulnerable. writing, I don't know, has always felt sort of deeply personal mm-hmm. in terms of um, so a certain level of vulnerability. But for publication, like if you're just going to keep it in your journal, you're good. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, And that's so interesting. I think about that a lot. You know, uh, I write I write poems and essays myself uh, separate from my job. And I think a lot about that when I go to write about people that I know and they're in the world. And what does that mean for people to read what you've written about them and to be sensitive to that? I love that. I have a background. My, well, my background, my undergrad is in broadcast journalism. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was deciding to become a journalist, part of what made me decide, because I didn't necessarily enjoy writing, but I love creative writing. Mm-hmm. And I've always been inquisitive about life and people's stories. So all the things that you've mentioned. Um, but I'm glad to hear you say that practice and then also just having a will and desire, because those were some of the driving forces mm-hmm. that made me decide, OK, this is the area that I want to go into. Also, because I was just like you, I didn't want to do the math. I did. I couldn't. Not necessarily didn't want to do the math. I was intimidated. I was like, oh, no, I can't do that. So science is off the table. This is off the table. But journalism I can do because I love getting engulfed into people's world. I just yes. love the story and how we become and, and who we are becoming daily it was always fascinating for me yes mm-hmm. I, I love that how we engage with life yes is a very big part of it you know all those pieces that we're not just um, individuals existing we're individuals coexisting mm-hmm. with the world and with each other so yeah. you know when I was one on the page I was noticing a term called literary art leader mm-hmm. what what is a literary <laughs> art leader <laughs> yeah I don't know let's see um You know, I feel like it's a leadership role in the arts, really, but also connected to the literary world. So, you know, I would say that someone in my role could be considered, you know, a leader in the literary arts. What do we do? We support writers. So in my work, everything I try to do, and this goes for the people I work with, my Mm -hmm. staff, but also the people who we give fellowships to or the students we work with, really trying to see how can I elevate or amplify voices 
of writing. So again, to go back to whatever that writing form that writing takes, if that's a graphic novel, or if that's slam poetry, or if that's journalism, um, making sure that I can support writers um, in how are they heard? How are they seen? How are they participating in the world? And try to make those connections for them as an administrator. Um, so what does that mean? Making sure that there's funding for them, making sure that I'm collaborating with people that could help them, making sure that I'm part of the wider university because we're at the university, um, and giving them opportunities to to have their work shared wherever it wants to be shared. You know, you can. This is the thing that delights my soul. Every time I hear you say graphic novels, yeah. Uh-huh. Are, you, are you a graphic novel person? I am. I'm, I'm a comic book superhero graphic okay. novel person. So I like that it's been elevated to yes. literature. It is absolutely this this important work. I have never heard of slam poetry. What does that actually mean? So, you know, there's a lot of, well, there's variation. Slam poetry, there's a lot of slam and spoken word poetry in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. A little bit different than maybe a published book, but more on the performance side of poetry. And it can vary. So you you need to explore in Las Vegas to see what it looks like. Um, And, you know, we have some amazing spoken word slam poets um, working in this city. How wonderful. That's wonderful. Now, with your department, do you all ever have any type of presentations or open mic nights or where people can come in and explore some of the work and so, the writings? So we don't do anything like open mic, though, again, there's a lot of that happening in Las Vegas and in the Valley. Um But what we do do is we invite writers in to share their work. Mm. Um And I can say that we support a series, which is, there is an MFA program in the English department where writer and a PhD program where students are studying writing, creative writing. And they ha- the MFA program has their own series. Mm-hmm. It's called Neon Lit. And it is the last Friday, generally speaking, depending on holidays, of every month. Mm. And in fact, it's this Friday. Oh, so I get, to, I get to plug okay. them. I'll plug <laughs> them. Um, but it's, um, it is... This Friday at the Beverly Theater, the Segway, the second floor of the Beverly Theater. I believe it's at seven, but it's a special Halloween sort of uh, version. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And what they do is they have about six readers. And so those students who are studying here are able to share their works in progress with the public and each other for encouragement. I, I would love say that. That's awesome. See, we we learn something new every time. No matter who we're sitting with, I mean, things that you just don't know. The best kept secrets of UNLV. Every As to time. the reason for the show, let's talk UNLV. Having you all come and share these things, I, I, you know, it's impossible to know it all because we have such a big campus. But these are exactly. gems for me. You know, well, exactly. And what I love about that is they try to do their readings off campus at different locations, mm-hmm. which I think encourages the people that you know maybe they don't go to the university and. Maybe they're worried about parking here, and maybe it's a little intimidating, like, to come here. Um, So they try to find places to do their readings elsewhere, and it's free. Love it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really love, so the part of it that speaks to me and that I really love is the sen- the student piece and the burgeoning writer piece because a lot of times when you're finding your literary voice, you don't often know of places to support. You don't know of, of ways to get connected. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks that publishing, well, most people think that publishing is simply you write and then you submit to these big publishing houses and then you cross your fingers and pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and, you know, wait. and wait. Right. And uh-huh. wait, wait and, and wait and wait. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so this is almost like a program that helps to nurture new writers and help them to grow in their craft. So I love that that is something that you offer there. Totally. And and I would say um, Black Mountain Institute is really in a supporting role in that way, in that we offer fellowships and scholarships to those students who are in a program. Mm-hmm. We're not actually teaching them. But one thing that's really exciting about what we do with those students is kind of to fill in that piece that you're talking about, which is, yeah, they work with their creative writing teachers, right, in their learning craft, but they also have an opportunity as graduate student assistants to come and work at BMI. And with us at BMI, they learn things like, what does the director do? What does the communications and marketing person do in a literary organization? What does a development person do? So they get a sense of, like, if they wanted to go support other writers, Um, in their role, because we all need to work, you know, and if you want to be on the side of also elevating people in your community that way from the administrative side, finding out it's not so boring, I think is fun for them. (laughs) It's not just paperwork. Mm -hmm. It's, it's exciting. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really cool to see their eyes open to that, I would say. Yeah, I I appreciate all of that. I, um, I'm curious about this thing that I read about called City of a City of Asylum. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So that's also another fellowship. And City of Asylum <clears throat> is a fellowship designed for writers who have been persecuted oh. in some way um, for their work in their country that they come from, the place that they come from. And unfortunately, that's a lot of places in the world. Mm-hmm. And BMI welcomes those writers sort of through a network of recommendation Um it's, I would say it's an informal network. There are other cities of asylum in the country. There is cities of city of asylum in Pittsburgh. There is one in Detroit. Wow. There is one in Ithaca. Um, and so Las Vegas has one fellowship currently. And what that means is we bring in someone who has needs a safe place to be and to do their work. Um, and so we currently have a fellow um, she recently arrived two and a half months ago from Iran, oh, wow. and we're thrilled to have her here. So part of that fellowship is funding to do your work for a year, and also they are provided housing and really the stability they need that they haven't encountered in the place that they came from, whether because of government restrictions or criticism of their work or what they're writing about, the content, often it's journalism. Mm. Um, and so it's a really unique fellowship. Sounds like it gives them more liberty and, and liberation here, being a part of the program as well, because some of those countries, as journalists, you don't really have every country that's free speech and First Amendment rights and things of that nature. So Absolutely not, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. it's... I think it's an incredible, it's incredible opportunity. And what I love about it is seeing those fellows participate also in, in the community too. So they come and they want to be involved. They'll give talks and they'll work with other writers too. 
It's it's so funny as you talk about this, my mind immediately thinks about the ways in which we are sort of closing in on how, what's allowed to be journalism, what's allowed to be written word, what's mm-hmm. allowed to be shared commonly. So I'm really glad that there are opportunities for people from different communities where their work has value and power, but they're not allowed to have that same voice. It feels like you're giving them a voice mm-hmm. and giving them back their voice. And Yeah, and the space to do it. And, you know, I think they come here and, you know, we see all of the banned books things going on now mm-hmm. also. So I think it's interesting for them right now to mm-hmm. be coming and to be safe and yeah. then to see that these are these these questions are questions everywhere. Here it's completely different yeah. um, than what they've experienced and the danger they've experienced. But yeah. it's um it's still back to the same question about can I say what I want to say yeah. and what needs to be said. Yeah. I think that's gonna be the defining question of our time. Is, is are we giving voice to the things that should be given a voice or are we um, closing doors to that? Because I, I think books are exceptionally important in the life of a child. Mm-hmm. They're exceptionally important, obviously, in the life of academia. And I love the idea that individuals who normally would not be able to share, are we have access to that. Yeah. We have opportunities for that and they have the ability to do that in a safe space. Yeah. So yeah. um we have a few minutes left. Yeah. So what is the best way for people to get connected with you? Yes. Well, first of all, we have if you're on campus, people should just come over and say hello. Yeah. We're in the Rogers Literature and Law Building and we're on the first floor. And you're welcome to just stop by and say hello. We have a website, blackmountaininstitute.org. And really, that's the best way to kind of see what's happening. We have so many events. Everything is free and open to the public. And I would say sign up for the newsletter if that's something that you like to do or stop by. Um, and we would love to talk to you. That sounds wonderful. Um, one final thing that crossed my mind as you were talking is I feel like storytelling is part of our DNA. Like we are story mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. We have always been story people. So I am glad that there's a space and a place where stories can live. Stories yes. can be shared. Stories are encouraged. And voices are given an opportunity to tell their story. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's, that that's exactly why I wanted to come to this job is to be a part of that, you know. Well, we're so grateful. I think we should do it definitely a part two. <laughs> come back and visit us anytime. I'm, I mean, I've learned a lot. Thank you so much. That I did much. not know um, prior to you um, sitting down to interview with us. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. For more Let's Talk UNLV, be sure to follow us on social media where you can get the latest updates on the show plus great behind-the-scenes content. We're on Facebook at Let's Talk UNLV Podcast, Twitter at Let's Talk UNLV, and Instagram at Let's Talk UNLV Pod.